sure. So we can't screw this up now. <laughs> Don't screw this up. Hi, everybody. Come on in here, Erica. <laughs> um, thanks for, if you're watching this, thanks, first of all, for watching it. Um, we're going to talk about our new release, the Swaha album. Do you have it? Do you have a copy of it? I didn't bring it. You didn't bring it? Hmm. We don't have it to show you. I got one. You got one? Yeah, Where is that? We'll get it. Okay. Okay. We do it, do it in a minute. <laughs> do it in a minute. So we're super prepared for this. We're really together. We're really professional. Um, no, but we are excited about it. So um, a couple things about just this little like time here is that um, we want to take a chance to talk about the, um, the album that we released in... December, geez, right at the end of December, and then today marks the release of the digital release. So now it's available on streaming platforms all over the world. Um, so if you don't know who we are, um, we're we're Spirit Well. We're we're half actually of Spirit Well that will be performing tomorrow night. Um, my name's Austin, and I do uh, guitar things and some vocal things and computer bebops and boops with twisties and buttons and pushies. Um, and then, how about you introduce Hi, yourself? I'm Suzanne, and um, I do vocals, and I do some harmonium things, and I do some percussive things. And who are you? I'm Erica, and I sing and attempt to make other noises with <laughs> percussion <laughs> instruments. Um... Yeah, so we we do all sorts of different things too. Um, we're all yoga teachers too. If you don't know, I'm sure you're. If you're watching this, you probably know us. So that was kind of superfluous, but um, it felt like somehow necessary. I guess we could have said something. Not many people would know about us. Maybe we should share mm -hmm. one thing. Most people who even know us, like at the studio mm -hmm. or at ecstatic curtains, wouldn't know about us. Um, and we could say it about each other if we wanted to that sounds dangerous <laughs> well we all I can say one that applies to all of us we are all uh, animal lovers mm -hmm. we all adhere to a plant based diet and <clears throat> try to live a vegan lifestyle and love cats yeah it's true things are all true yeah okay was that too dangerous yeah. Now it's kind of dangerous. I said the V word. A little bit. The v, word the v word is dangerous. <laughs> okay, just we're going to take that out and post. We're going to fix it and post. Um, so uh, let us. We want to introduce you to the the idea of the album and why it matters and um, has anything to do with what we do. So the album that we produced over the last year is called Swaha, and it's four songs done two different ways. So kind of like you know when you get a dish. A restaurant and they're like beans done two ways that's how these songs are done so the, the <laughs> one version of them is um, the well let me back up I think we should explain ecstatic kirtan will you explain that sure so ecstatic kirtan is is an event it's like a community event that has kind of evolved out of um, you know when Austin and I started doing kirtans like, what, two and a half years ago or something like that? Almost. Um, just to let people open their voice and sing and chant these mantras that have sacred vibrations, really powerful vibrations that can open up your pranic system. Um, and then Austin was also doing ecstatic dance events. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it was kind of like chocolate, peanut butter, 
you know? <laughs> we put them together um, because they're both essentially devotional practices. And um, I think I heard Austin say the other day, it's it's like the two things people are most scared of: singing mm-hmm. in public and dancing in public. <laughs> so you know, why not put them together? Uh, so the singing part <laughs> is kirtan. The only other thing would make it worse is if you had to do it naked. Yeah. You don't have to do it naked. Yeah, or like in a spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. No, no spotlight. In it's fact, not. Yeah. In fact, you can really just blend in to the. You can blend into the group. Um, you can stand out if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah. In fact, you were like, when did you come to the first one? Mm, less than a year ago, because I was so scared to go, and you, then it instantly became my favorite thing. It did, didn't <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah. Um, how did you get past the self-consciousness? Um, really, the music, <laughs> just like allowing yourself, the chanting is is just so magical in the way that it takes you out of your body and it being in a different language kind of strips away that um, the way of, you know, analyzing your voice because you're like, how do I pronounce this word? And um, and you don't and you fumble through it along with everybody else in the audience. Um, and it's like this whole communal none of us know what we're doing. And then all of a sudden you all realize that you're you're having this great experience together. We don't know what we're doing. (laughs) But somehow it does, yeah. There's like a weird moment where then it becomes something. Yeah. And it happens pretty quickly. Um, I know that, like, you know, we go to community dance a lot over at the the MAC. What is it? The MAC? Movement Arts Center. Movement Arts Center, yeah. It's the MAC, not MAC. And it's interesting practice to let your body move freely with music because there's days where we've done it and it's been very easy. Like the hour goes by and I just don't even think about myself at all. There's other days where I'm like, I don't know what to do with my body here. And I'm very hyper aware of my body and, and just catching yourself being self-conscious in those moments and letting it go. And, um, that's the environment, um, that it, for you to be able to do that, I think it's really important that the non-judgment, um, aspect of it is is really important so you know we've had people who have been like well can you know do we do you drink wine or beer beforehand how can i dance if i'm not inebriated or loosened up or lubed up but no it's a sober event um the, the there's a few rules there's no talking no shoes no drugs and no judgment um and the goal you know the purpose of it is 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 that thing that happens like Erica was talking about where you you go you start from like I don't know what I'm doing the thing that ends up happening is you tap into an innocence within yourself you tap into like that childlike playful nature that um, that most of us don't experience that frequently once we become adults however we do have kids come to the event a lot and they get down. They know what to do. Thank goodness they come. <laughs> they love it. So they don't have any problem with the whole freeform movement thing. They're like, yeah. it's my true nature. Thank you. So we, yeah, so we wanted to do an album that um, depicted this kind of experience. And so when you come to the Ecstatic Kirtan, the way it works is there's an hour or about 45 minute Kirtan and about the same length, if not a little bit longer, freeform dance with the same chants. So you learn them in kirtan format, and then as you dance, we play the same chants, and um, you know people oftentimes sing along while they're dancing. The album, though, is a little bit different. We flipped it, so the album, the four songs that are done two ways, like Beans at a vegan restaurant, uh, the first, first version is ecstatic dance version of the songs, and then the second version of them are um, 
the kirtan version and then one of the songs is done a third way which is just kind of like a shavasana version of it um so i did want to talk a little bit about um the album and what it took to get it done so these songs have been um brewing for a long time these four tunes um i think the oldest one i wrote gosh probably in my early 20s when i was 23 24 so that's like 15 years ago and that's I was talking to a friend recently, actually, Ryan Flores. We were at the music shop the other day together. We were talking about songwriting and the difference between certain songwriters write like 100 songs and then they just take the 10 best. Um, but I'm not like that. I write, you know, 10 songs and then just work with them for 10 years until they're actually good. <laughs> um, and then, um, like Suzanne was saying, um, I was performing these songs as ecstatic dance and then we decided to do Kirtan together and then it, it, for some reason, it just kind of clicked. And we were like, oh, what if we kind of put this all together and started chanting in these songs? So the songs became something even more. And oddly, a lot of these songs that had been kind of sitting around on the shelf with an inability to be finished, um, once we started to infuse them with the mantras, that is what really finished them. Um, so that whole idea of the the mantra holding a certain power and holding a certain um, shakti or energy to it, that kind of seemed to be the thing that brought these songs, uh, you know, because for years I've been searching with what it was and it was turned out to be this. Don't you have a quote on mantra? Yeah. Would it be appropriate now? Sure. Read that. Right. So this applies to, you know, when we chant mantra, you know, there's these... We have these mythologies in yoga where we, we like, we're talking about these deities or the gods or the goddesses. Um, but what we're really invoking is the energy that those sounds represent rather than like the thing itself. Um, so this is related to the goddess, but because she is hidden in order to act in the world, the great goddess needs us to ask for help. The grace of the goddess is a two-way stream. There's the movement from the subtle the movement of grace descending into the human world. But it can't land unless there is a calling from below. So the calling is is the mantra. So mm-hmm. by chanting the mantra, it's, it is singing, but it's different from just singing, you know, a Bob Marley song or something like that. Perfect segue. Because our first song that we want to talk about is Roots. Um, and, you know, that calling from below is kind of what this song is about. Um, the idea that if you can hold on to who you are at your very core, um, it will guide you through whatever situation you may have to come up against in life. Um, the song kind of stood by itself and it originally appears on an earlier album in a non-mantric form, if I can use that word, if you'll follow me there. Uh, that was on Spirit Well's uh, Sweet Spot album from 2018, I think. Nope, 2017. And um, what we did was infused some rainbow lyrics to it. <laughs> so Suzanne was a hippie kid and used to go to rainbow festivals. Mm-hmm. Rainbow gatherings. Yeah. Rainbow gatherings, yeah. <laughs> and, and then there's these set of lyrics about um, earth and fire and water and wind. And they relate them familiarly to um, father, mother, brother, sister, and the combining energy of Shiva and Shakti, which is just a simple way of saying the force and where uh, male and female energies combine into a unified force. 
And um, so we kind of put all that together, and that's the first song. And it's I think it's a it's kind of a sweet love song. It's definitely very like to me that song being called Roots, but also talking about family and um, collaboration and collaboration working together. Um, that's definitely a lot about what we try to be like and do, and it's definitely the heart of a of this whole thing because. Um, even the events that we put on, it's one of the main purposes behind it is to give the audience the experience of being the rock star. You know, so the audience can be the one singing, the audience can be the one dancing, and they can have as much of that spotlight as they want or don't want. And um, I think that's a really cool experience. You know, I grew up a long time going to bands play live and just sitting there in the audience and watching. And, you know, sometimes it's compelling and sometimes you're just. You're very apparent of the the difference that you're in the you're the entertainee and they're the entertainer and um, I don't know there's something freeing about breaking the fourth wall and getting people who come to the event in on the um, conspiracy. It's, it's just a big conspiracy. Do you guys have anything else you want to say about that song? Mm. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Render's the next song. Well, maybe I'll start with... Do you have anything you want to say about this song? About Render? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. You had that song recorded on a few different albums, huh? I did. In, like, a few different um, incarnations. Yeah, it was on a meditation CD, and then an acoustic CD, and then a uh, Bavarian drone... Uh, Oktoberfest CD. No, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's not true. Uh, that one's not true. But um, what's the chant on that one? Do you remember? Ram Sita. Oh, yeah. What is Ram Sita? You grabbed that book? Oh, me? Yeah. Um, well, where do I start? Um, so, just a little bit of backstory for me here. Because I did my 300-hour teacher training at... Um, can be a last year, and so they had us read this book, The Ramayana. Am I saying that right? Ramayana. Ramayana. That's yeah. what Amber would get. Yeah. Yeah. She would get after you. So I say it wrong all the time too. Um, the the lead character, so to speak, um, is Ram, and he represents. I'm going to need some help here with this. On He's like nobility, and. Um, Ram is the kind of person that when Ram comes around in life, you're rest assured that everything is going to be okay. And Sita is even the more expanded version of Ram. Like Sita is like the perfect purified version of Ram. So they kind of go hand in hand. And they have a little buddy that goes along with him too. Hanuman. Hanuman, Hanuman is the <laughs> monkey god. And Hanuman is like, you know, just when you think you couldn't, like love Ram and Sita anymore in this book, then Hanuman kind of steals the show because he's just his devotion is so charismatically contagious, um, and yeah, I mean, it just it's a wonderful story. If you've never read it, um, definitely check it out. Um, it's supposedly the oldest fiction in the world, um, and it is similar to like a uh, kind of like a Game of Thrones style story. So it's definitely an epic. Um, the song, though, itself was combined with a song I had written, um, 
when I first started to um, uh, fall in with Laura, actually. Mm. Most people don't know that. So a lot of this song is about, it's about our early days of, uh, you know, the honeymoon period, which, um, so that's why I love this song a lot, because it's about our love. And that was at a time I wrote it when it wasn't um, acted upon or anything like that. It was still just kind of, it was something that was felt and it was something that was really pure. And um, so it, went, it felt like it went really well with Ram Sita. I think we should do, before we finish the song, go to the next song, Lecto Divina with this book. So that's when you just pick a place to read something out of. Um, so let me just see if I can... <laughs> okay, here's one. Oh. Well, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> this can go on. <laughs> Let me just... Uh, yeah, it doesn't make... Take two. Take two. Let's try that again. There's, there's good knowledge in here. Trust me. It's yeah. just a matter of finding... Let me do it. Ready? Yeah. You find the page. I'm closing my eyes. Okay. There we go. Okay. Let me just read this. See the stars have lost their brightness, O Lakshmana, foretelling and hastening the end of an age of a yuga. So the point, you actually, you pointed at this. Rama fell first, bound with serpents as thick as ropes. Seeing his brother fall, Lakshmana lost heart. And so, this is giving it away. Spoiler alert. <laughs> okay, that... Anyway, you should read it for yourself. Uh, well, it's interesting, though, because you said uh, signaling the end of, of a yuga. Yes. Right? And the yugas are like these, in, in yogic mythology, these long spans of time. And according to, like, the, the yogic teachings or the yogic uh, literature, the, we're, we're in something called the Kali Yuga, which is the darkest of the yugas and the way out of that yuga is through do you guys know what mm-hmm. you don't it's through the practice bhakti. of bhakti yeah mm-hmm. specifically the practice of chanting mantra so it's it's the most powerful way to to um to search for the light or to to reach the light it is this. it is known as the path or dharma and here is a good one i could no more be separated from dharma than the moonlight from the moon there we go mm-hmm. okay there go. thanks rama or Hanuman or Sita, whoever that was. Okay, third song, All the Time in the World. That's uh, a song from the album Plum Line from like 2016. And we paired it with the mantra Om Gam Ganapatiya Namaha. And Ganesha is the elephant headed boy deity who um, actually didn't he write the whole Mahabharata, Vyasa? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. told it to him and he wrote it he down transcribed it transcribed with his it tusk. perfectly he said only if you tell it perfectly with no mistakes will I transcribe it no stopping and that's the longest epic in the world it's as vast as the Iliad and the Odyssey by Homer and uh, why do people why do we care about Ganesh what's important about Ganesh mm, he's um, he's the remover of obstacles mm-hmm. specifically obstacles in your in your practice and your growth yeah, and so the song called "All the Time in the World," um, that's the idea. Is that you know, oftentimes we're not aware that the true obstacle for us to do our practice, to get on the path of what we need to be doing, is time. We always think, "Oh, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that." Um, so it seemed like an easy pairing to 
to call forth that energy which removes the obstacles and um, and really focusing it in on the concept of time because that is a limited resource we have. Um, so lastly is burning bush or do you want to say anything else about all the time? Mm-hmm. Or, or you want to say anything more? Mm-hmm. We like that one. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I have a really sweet memory of singing it at the zoo. Oh, mm. yeah? <laughs> like in the to summertime. an elephant? <laughs> to emus, actually. To emus. <laughs> More specific. <laughs> uh, um, so the last one is Burning Bush, and that one is um, entitled Burning Bush, yes, because of the, the biblical reference. We don't discriminate against any religion. We appropriate from every religion. <laughs> so, we welcome all perspectives. We welcome all perspectives. <laughs> um, this is the oldest song in the four, and this is the one that also has the shavasana version, the instrumental version. Excuse me. Whoa. Uh, and that's Om Namah Shivaya, which Om Namah Shivaya was the first chant I ever learned in yoga, and it's probably the most important one for me personally. And um, it also has shifted and changed the meanings the most to me. So um, one thing that's really important to understand in the practice of mantra is that there oftentimes is an interpreted translation of the word, an explicit translation of the words, and then there is a personal translation of the words. The personal translation of the words is revealed to you over time after you've spent a great deal of time chanting and working through your practice. That one is the most important one. Om Namah Shivaya um, directly means um, Om in the name of Shiva. Basically means I bow, I bow and am blessed and bless um, in the name of Shiva, the cosmic force of Shiva. And Shiva is known as like the merciful um, force of resolution. Shiva brings conclusion to things. Some people say it's the destructive force, but it's not always destructive. Sometimes it's tidy and complete. And in fact, that's definitely more the nature of what Shiva has revealed to me after chanting it for the last 12 years. Um, But I also heard a really cool definition of this one time that um, Sadhguru said. Sadhguru, you know Sadhguru, Mm -hmm. isn't it? And uh, he says uh, that Om Namah Shivaya means I am not that. So Om Namah Shivaya is a chant that is used to cut through the illusion of Maya. So all the things that we identify with in the world, um, all of the ways in which we find ourselves in attachment and get caught up in the inevitable suffering and pain that attachment causes, that Om Namah Shivaya is the um, deciding factor in removing ourself from that um, falsity. Is falsity a word? It is now. Okay. Good. Anything else you want to say about that one? The way it's it's like in similar similarly that with Shiva's often thought of as a destroyer, and what it is that Shiva destroys is like the small self or like mm-hmm. the ego self. Um, and so the translation of Om Namah Shivaya that I learned is also one of the first chants I learned, um, and I learned it in an ashram environment. And the translation I learned was, I bow with respect to my divine inner self, not being self with a, mm. with a capital S. So your, your true self, your true nature, rather than... Your big-ass self. 
<laughs> rather than your little self that thinks you know what's going on. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, there's also a lyric in there. Yeah, there's a lot of different definitions of Om Namah Shivaya. Um, but usually people will chant to him when they're looking for mercy. That's a very common reason. Because um, he, he brings an end to suffering. But the lyrics that go along with the actual song Burning Bush um, is important to us because it's a concept of love lasts beyond. And that was a big, um, that ended up being kind of a big concept behind the album art for us. And um, so if you hear the song, know that we're saying love lasts beyond, not love lesbians, which that's fine too. That's come up though. That has come up. Somebody was like, somebody was like, oh, love lesbians. I, that's it. Cool. Maybe what too. Is, what does that mean? We love, we love everybody. Yeah. Um, but Love Last Beyond is the idea that, um, you know, in this way in which we are being vulnerable ourselves and asking our audience to be vulnerable, um, you know, as Brene Brown says, she says, anybody who's ever loved somebody and anybody who's ever buried somebody they love has been vulnerable in their life. And so um, I guess there, it's just kind of like an homage to, as the album finishes up, to, to kind of end on a high note that no matter what is concluding, what is being resolved or drawn to an end, that love lasts beyond. Um, so, yeah, we do have Love Lasts Beyond shirts that were designed by Erica. She also designed the album cover here. I mean, you can see that very well. The album is called Swaha. And then there's, yep, it's fun. It's nice. It's got all the songs on the back. It's got a nice little yantra design on it. That's the physical copy. You can get that from us, too, at the show tomorrow night if you want to come. Um, 7 p.m. is when the face painting starts. 7.30 is when the show starts. Um, but the whole purpose of this today is just to introduce you to the songs in a new context in hopes that you finish this up and go click on to whatever it is. Spotify. Amazon Music. Amazon Music. iTunes. Are we in iTunes? Should be soon. Okay. iTunes is <laughs> kind of like they're well, they're blackballing us a little bit. I'm like, are we it's not taking some time? priority. We're not good enough for SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Sound- yes, mm-hmm. SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Yes. Google Music. Um, I do want to say in as we before we forget, um, there was a lot of help with this. Um, so first of all, everybody who come to the ecstatic curtain over the last two years, for sure, you all are the most important part for this to get completed. Um, obviously these two have been huge there's no way we'd be right here without this um, this Shakti between the three of us Um, Animus Invidious uh, he's the one who mastered this and all of the photography that you see on the website or on most of our promotional stuff is from Tim Martin Um, who else do I need to thank well, all the people who always um, check in our events because we always need help. Um, anybody from like in the beginning, it used to be Cheryl. Jeez, there's just too many to remember off the top of my head. But whoever you are, if you're listening. All the Sangha. Thank you. Yeah, just the Sangha at large. Um, and that's, I think that that's where I, I want to end this today is this concept of Sangha. So if you're not familiar with the word Sangha, it's a, um, it means spiritual community or a group of people endeavored to um, develop themselves in a like-minded way. 
So oftentimes, like a teacher training group, this is a sangha, or people who practice yoga together consistently and with intention, this is a sangha. And as Suzanne was talking about earlier, we're shifting through different yugas, different epochs, and during those different times of um, man's evolution, the yoga practice needs to show up in different ways to support us. For a long time, the um, practice was focused on a guru-discipleship, so a mentor and disciple type of relationship. And we are currently moving towards um, Sangha being the new guru. And um, this is actually a really good thing because it dissolves the power structure and it creates also more accountability and responsibility among the many members. Um, that's, um, that's a pretty powerful kind of shift in all of, I don't know, um, the enlightenment and metaphysical and self-development consciousness right now is the shift from like everybody, instead of getting all the truth from one person, there's many truths from many people that are creating a singular truth for yourself. Um, so guru is that which removes the goo or that which reveals the light. And, um, and yeah, and I just want to say that, um, that a big part of this practice, this style of yoga that Suzanne was saying is called bhakti yoga. The heart of it is love. And, um, you know, the really good gurus, there were some not good gurus, but the really good gurus are the ones who see people for all they are, all their crap, all their failings and shortcomings and fears and doubts and everything about them and still love them. And that is what the power of a guru is. That is really what the power of um, having the darkness removed from you can be. So um, this practice, bhakti yoga, is a perfect way for you to take the accountability of starting to be that member in the group, that guru, and using the bhakti practice to practice self-love. So, yeah, I hope you take advantage of it as we um, return to the light. As that was our theme for tomorrow night's ecstatic kirtan. We are returning to the light in many ways. So, anything else? Well, we want to sing a song to end, yeah? Mm-hmm. Do you want to say something? Well, I was going to ask if you would explain um, what swaha means. Swaha, we're just going to say there's a lot of meanings, but right now it just means well said. So it's a concluding statement at the end of a mantra sometimes, or a long sloka, and it can just mean well said. So that's a great, great way to put it. All right, let's sing a little song together.
Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you liked it. Whoa. Hope you. <laughs> so, I cannot see anything on here. Yeah. I don't like, I was nothing. I don't know what to do. Uh, yeah, I thought about, that's fine. I thought about. Um, Monty still it. watched it. <laughs> Yay! Monty. Hey, Monty. Did anybody else watch it? Um, we got 12 viewers on Instagram. We should have. Well, that's okay because that one we'll be able to rip from Facebook and actually. Rip it. That quality was a lot better. Oh, let me. Uh, um, stop this. Ryan.